This is Food First Michigan on News Talk 760 WJR. Sponsored by the Food Bank Council of Michigan. Creating a food secure state. And by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan. Now here are your hosts, Dr. Phil Knight and Jerry Brisson. Welcome everyone. Thanks for listening. You cannot be the same, think the same, and act the same if you hope to be successful in a world that does not remain the same. That's from one of my mentors, John Maxwell. Adaptability, not conformity, is the key to maintaining a high level of effectiveness, impact, and success. Conformity, the antithesis of adaptability, is the best way to ensure your project, organization, or program remains both average and unremarkable. The ability to adapt, grow, learn, try, fail are what separates leaders, organizations, and programs. Adaptability, the ability to change to fit circumstances, like water does when it's poured into a vessel, allows organizations to evolve and grow to meet the changing landscape or need. I repeat, you cannot be the same, think the same, and act the same if you hope to be successful in a world that does not remain the same. When we look back at the history of food banking, I readily see leaders who saw a need and moved to meet that need. But the leaders today are just as passionate, driven, and inspired to meet the need today as those were back then. What we do and how we do it now is vastly different than our founders did 40-plus years ago. We've adapted, and because we have scores of family in Michigan who are better off, kids are excelling, fewer seniors are worried about food, and moms and dads are little less stressed because of what we do. What if we had not changed, adapted to the need? What would the landscape for kids, seniors, and families be like today? Just looking back 20 years, our network distributed 70 million pounds of food across our state. That equals 60 million meals. This past year, the network distributed 205 million pounds of food, or about 170 million meals. That's a 193% increase in less than 20 years. I repeat, you cannot be the same, think the same, and act the same if you hope to be successful in a world that does not remain the same. All of those who work in this world of emergency food, from the federal and state government to those of us with boots on the ground, must adapt to both need and circumstance. We cannot manage our way out of this problem. We will have to lead our way out, and being adaptable is the path to greater effectiveness. Today on our show, our friend from Michigan Farm Bureau that helps us adapt to an ever-changing landscape of farming in Michigan is Ernie Birchmeyer. We were challenged last year and we adapted, and today Ernie helps us understand what's in store for this season as well. Join Jerry Brisson and me with Ernie Birchmeyer in just a moment.
Welcome back, everyone. Dr. Phil Knight here with Jerry Brisson. Good morning, Jerry. Good morning, Doctor. It's great to be here. Uh, and, uh, you know, as is often the case, I'm just excited about our guest today. I mean, uh, incredibly knowledgeable about what's happening in farms in Michigan. It's so important to our food banking network, so I'm on the edge of my seat. So Ernie Birchmeyer is back with us from Michigan Farm Bureau. Ernie, welcome back to Food First Michigan. Hey, thanks, and it's great to be here. Look forward to our conversation. Well, it's super to have you here, but hey, let's just stop and say congratulations because 30 years, 30 years, eight months, I think is what I saw for you at the Michigan Farm Bureau. Is that correct? That is correct, and uh, it's been a great career, and it's been wonderful to work on behalf of the farmers across the state of Michigan, and and for our members, uh, you know, uh, not much happens uh, around the world if if we don't produce food and and fiber for our consumers around the world, and uh, I've had the fortunate opportunity to work with those folks uh, and on behalf of those folks that do it on a daily basis, and uh, our farmers produce the most uh, abundant, affordable, and safe food supply, you know, in the world, and a lot of that. That happens right here in Michigan, and it's been outstanding. You well, there's I could. That's amazing because you said that so eloquently. I, we should just close the show, Jerry. <laughs> right there, <laughs> start the music. <laughs> <laughs> so, Ernie, it's been a tough year here in Michigan. I mean, our farmers are um, have have really <laughs> weathered, so to speak, the the weather, and uh, we're hoping for better things this spring. But it's been a tough year, starting last spring with all the rain. Then the early snow this fall. What's been? What's the? What's the? You got your hand on the pulse. What's the status for us? Well, weathered is a good term, uh, and really, it started before that. If you go back a year ago, right now to you know in, in January to the polar vortex, um, that actually had an impact on our you know a lot of our fruit crops around the state and did some damage. Uh, um, you know, to to the grape uh, region, did some damage to, to the peach region, you know, and, and froze some of those trees and vines. So it goes back to January. And, you know, you wow. followed that into an extremely wet spring. And, um, you know, where it rained continuously, our farmers had real struggles getting their crops in the ground. When they did get them in, they were late. Uh, we followed that up with, you know, some hot, dry weather and a very limited amount of rain uh, during July and August. And then it started raining in late August and early September and didn't really stop. And our farmers had problems getting the crops that they did get planted out of the field. So it has been a real struggle. And, you know, if you think about it, it's been raining ever since. Michigan, on average, receives about 36 inches of rain a year. Many regions of the state were, you know, 10 to, to 15 inches above that. Wow. And uh, we can only handle so much water. Um, you know, that impact also led to about 900,000 acres in Michigan not getting planted last year, um, you know, pushing a million. We've got 10 million acres, <clears throat> excuse me, of farm ground in the state. You know, so that equates to about 10% of the farm uh, ground in Michigan that didn't get planted last year. Wow. Wow. Do we have an idea, and, and I don't know, I, 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 you know, I don't know who's calculating this, I'm sure somebody is, the, the economic impact to Michigan because of this, do we have any idea how much it is? You know, I don't have the true economic impact of that, but if you if you take a look at just ten percent of the ground not getting planted, it's pretty easy to you know say it had wow. a you know a ten ten fifteen twenty percent economic impact um, on our farms, depending on depending upon what you were producing and where you were at in the state. If you take southeast Michigan, and in particular Monroe County, um, there are many estimates that a, a third to a half of the ground 
um, available to grow crops on in that county did not get planted. And that wasn't the first year for that, uh, all due to weather conditions. So it, it's a real challenge. And for us in our work, you know, when 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 these economic tsunamis happen, right? I mean, it's like the perfect storm. People start to need help, and and one of the challenges in rural areas, I'm going to say, there's two challenges that we've got to face as food banks, and we are facing, and and trying to do a better job all the time. But you know, one is a lot of people who who haven't had to ask for help, or maybe have had to ask but didn't because they were embarrassed or or felt like somebody needed it more than they did um they it it, reaching them and making sure that they themselves have enough to eat so that their kids can thrive and so that they can be energized and and you know really be able to do their best that is that is such a challenge for for our rural communities um alongside the fact that a lot of those communities really don't have the infrastructure for food distribution and other things Hmm. that really is ready for that kind of a uh, influx of people that might need help and so we're always trying to get the word out hey you know what if you need help at least let people know. Let's find a way to build up the infrastructure, even if it's temporary, so that we can make sure that that the households that are going through this, A, don't feel like they're alone, but also, you know, it takes fuel to, to live a life. It just does. And that's, of course, the, the major thing that we deal with and why we call this food first is because we really don't believe people can recover from these things without a safety net that works for them. Well, that's a that's a very good point, and I and I think we couple with that the fact that you know farmers are a pretty strong, resilient, and and tough group of people. Um, we've weathered the storm before, but when you get two or three years of it in a row where we've been challenged, uh, you can't help but um, but think about uh, depression, you know, across the farm mm-hmm. community, you know, and a lot of anxiety. And a lot of times our folks won't talk about those things because they are a proud bunch. But we have had and uh, and continue to have conversations with our with our farmers across Michigan of if there's a problem, let's talk about it. Uh, let's not hide that issue. Um, you know, let's let's get some help if we need to get some help. But there's nothing wrong with you know reaching out and and talking with someone about those challenges that we have. The worst thing we can do many times is bury them down deep inside of us and not bring them out because then it only festers and it gets worse. So, uh, um, you know, not only do we have regions that face some some food challenges, but we've got some regions around the state where, where farmers are, are struggling emotionally, and we need to keep keep them in mind. Are you seeing anything now which is suggesting a long-term problem that we're going to have to face? I mean, are are you seeing things that that's saying to you, you know what, we're we're going to have fewer farms or we're going to have some struggles that we've got to find new ways to grapple with here? Well, I think um, the weather this spring will be a big indicator of that. Uh, uh, many of the, the forecasters are predicting another wet and, and cool spring. And if that comes to fruition, um, it, it could, um, you know, it could uh, make this even more challenging uh, for our folks as they try to get a crop in the ground. Along with that, you know, we're looking at some warmer temperatures here uh, um, in the near future. And if it warms up too fast, if our fruit crop decides uh, Mother Nature's telling them it's spring and those trees decide to bud and we would get a late freeze, um, you know, that has a real impact on the fruit crop that we have around the state. Yeah, just and then a few again, years if you ago. Go back, yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. that happened a few years ago. Yep. 
I believe it was in 2012, yeah. uh, uh, when it warmed up really early and right. pretty much destroyed a majority of the apple crop in Michigan. Yeah, we, you know, so the impact all of this um, has for us, Ernie, is that we recognize that solving hunger starts in the field. And, you know, it, it healthy things grow, right? So healthy crops grow, but it takes healthy farmers to grow healthy crops. And, you know, so I, I, I don't want it to be uh, sound like I'm insensitive because I need these farmers. <laughs> but the truth is, I need these farmers. <laughs> we all do. That's right. <laughs> you know, um, and so I really, you know, just appreciate Michigan Farm Bureau and you uh, personally and how you guys as an organization stand in the gap on behalf of our farmers and their families. So I want to I want to pick this up on the other side of the break. You you've got time to stay with us, I hope. You betcha. All right, Ernie Birchmeyer from Michigan Farm Bureau, Jerry Brisson on the other side of the microphone there. I'm Dr. Phil Knight, and we're all three back in just a moment. Contact the Food Bank Council of Michigan at fbcmich.org. Now back to more Food First Michigan with Dr. Phil Knight and Jerry Brisson. Thanks for listening, everyone. Jerry Brisson, Dr. Phil Knight here with our guest, Ernie Birchmeyer from Michigan Farm Bureau. And um, Ernie, again, we're just saying thank you to you and the entire family of companies for the Michigan Farm Bureau and all that you do for our agricultural community, but, but really what you do for all of Michigan. And so, so you're getting the, you get to be the front of this and the face of this, um, in a, in mine and Jerry's case, thank God we're doing radio, but, (laughs) but thank you. Thank you for all that you guys do to stand in the gap and try to relieve the stress and the pressure from our farmers who are, you know, in the field on our behalf. Well, I appreciate that. You know, Michigan Farm Bureau uh, celebrated uh, our 101st birthday, actually, uh, earlier this month. So uh, a year ago was our centennial. And, uh, you know, we've been out there 100 years strong working on behalf of our members. And the reason we're able to do that is because farmers across the state get involved in our organization, help to set the direction for the organization, and then take it upon themselves to provide leadership for the organization and for the industry. And, uh, you know, when you've got a grassroots organization that is truly built from the ground up, and then people realize that the world is run by those who show up, uh, uh, we're pretty fortunate in Michigan to have a, uh, a very strong ag economy in, in, in many cases, although challenged this past couple of years. But even more importantly than that, great people to help step up and be leaders for the industry. You know, Ernie, the two words that come to my mind when I think about it, um, our farming community, and there are so many partners that come alongside of us at the Food Bank Council and our seven members across the state, is is resilience and adaptability. I mean, you know, I can shake my fist at the clouds all I want, but it's not going to change the weather. So I've got to be resilient. I've got to stay at it. But I also have to adapt. And I think those are the two qualities that I admire most from our our farmers that come alongside of us. 
Yeah, our farmers are very resilient, and they do adapt. You know, I I think back to uh, when I was a child and our family farm operation and, uh, um, you know, the things that we learned there, and that was resiliency and and hard work and determination, and and you only get somewhere if you're willing to invest your effort and time and and a lot of sweat equity into it. And then watching the industry change over time, we don't farm the way that we used to. Um, You know, we don't produce the same crops that we used to. Those varieties have varied over time. We've got new technology that we adapt to. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have to figure out what's important to the consumer and then produce the product that they want and supply down the grocery store shelves so that we've got an abundance of food out there. So change is constant, and our farmers are very, very good about finding new ways to adapt to that uh, as long as they have the tools to do it and um, and the opportunity to do it. So uh, resilient, strong, determined, absolutely, those are great words for our industry. You know, I have family that farms in Kentucky, and, and we were down there visiting. I got to sit in one of their new tractors with a GPS system that has a map of their entire acreage and what exactly you have to do practically every square foot that tractor moves. It's I- it's pretty amazing the technology that's that's out there and uh, it's got a heat map it has a pest map it has a ground moisture map i was like oh my gosh it was really incredible i was i mean you know again as you were saying you you, what do you mean define pest to me Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they kicked me out of no, the right, tractor. Is, that, is yeah. that where you're headed with that? There was an ejecto seat, yeah. But uh, in any case, um, you know, one of the things that we talked about, I think, last time you were on the show was the impact of the trade mitigation um uh, programs as well as just even the trade agreements and what and was happening. And, and, yeah, so I mean, I there's probably a good time to get updated on what's happening in that arena too. Well, sure, we're uh, we're pretty excited about the uh, the recent trade agreements that were finalized. Uh, um, first, uh, you, you have to talk about uh, the USMCA, the agreement between the United States, Mexico, and Canada, formerly known as NAFTA. Uh, that trade agreement was over a quarter of a century old, and uh, it needed to be updated. And we appreciate the administration taking that on. And uh, certainly, there was a little bit of pain along the way as uh, as as we dealt with tariffs and we dealt with uh, trade barriers and and um, negotiations back and forth and limited market access during that time. But fortunately, uh, that, that issue has been ironed out, and uh, we're on the path to, uh, to building stronger relations with uh, Canada and Mexico because they're two very important trading partners to, uh, for us. Uh, the other one, obviously, is the Phase 1 uh, China trade agreement. Uh, China has a billion more people than we do, and uh, you know people tend to forget that 95% of the world's population lives outside of the United States, and they are our consumers, and we need the ability to trade with them. But we want to do that on a playing field that is level, and uh, these trade agreements um, uh, should allow us the opportunity to do that or get more nearly level, uh, if you will, so that we can trade goods and services back and forth without artificial trade barriers. And when you give uh, American farmers and uh, American manufacturing the opportunity to do that, uh, we can compete with anyone, and we're glad to do that. So do you have uh, any prediction yet in terms of how that's going to maybe stabilize some pricing for farmers, especially um, as it's been this tough year for weather? You know, if they can if they can get the right prices for the things they can produce, I imagine that would be a tremendous relief. 
Yeah, we, um, you know, we're waiting, still waiting for some uptick in the market because some of these need uh, these agreements need to to settle in and, and start working. So we've not seen a big price increase, uh, uh, but it should provide some stability when you normalize uh, trade relations with those with those partners again. It does bring back a stability in, into the market, and we should continue to see that. You know, one of the real concerns we have to be we have to keep in the back of our mind is, and a lot of people don't typically think about this, but you know, what role is something like the coronavirus going to play, you know, in, in trade um, right. and the goods and services that we move back and forth? If if you've got a billion-plus people that aren't moving and aren't doing much uh, be, because of the concern of a, of a disease outbreak, uh, that does have the potential to, to have an impact, a negative impact on the economy. And if they're not moving and they're not out buying and shopping, they just don't need as many goods and services. So that, that does play a role. And um, a lot of times our consumers maybe don't think about that quite as much because, you know, let's face it, most people in America are five generations removed from a farm and don't quite understand what happens on a daily basis on the farm, how that food gets to the grocery store, and then what role international markets play in the equation. Well, I think that, again, it's helpful to be reminded of how integral integrally tied i think i finally said that right integrally tied our farms are with the rest of the economy and connected to so many parts of our life as you said that we don't think about often um now i was fortunate to grow up on a farm in the up and so had that as part of my life got to got to see and and appreciate you know what farmers do every day but I, I do agree with you that, you know, if if you don't realize just how, what it takes to do that work, it can be easy to take for granted. And I think uh, from, the per, from, from the perspective of the work that we do, every population that needs help from us, whether it's growers or whether it's people between jobs or whether it's people with a health concern or, or people with a couple kids and maybe some disruption in their employment, um, each of them have a story to tell. That's that once you hear the story and understand it better, you come away with an attitude of, you know, if we could fix this one thing, people can generally fix a lot of things themselves. And that's what people want to do. And certainly it's what our farmers want to do. So so as we talk about these various systems and and the things that are affecting them, uh, we certainly want to make sure that we're doing the work we need to do to help our growers get through this because we know that they'll figure the rest out they they will and uh, i think a, a big part of the role that you all can fill and and um and as we talk about these issues it's just helping to educate the general public which is what you're doing via this program you know and raising the awareness of the the fact that there are some people out there with needs and uh, the the more that we can help to educate our consumers about what our farmers do on a daily basis, how they do it, and why they do it, uh, that way they're getting factual information and the correct information rather than something that might be on social media or they hear somewhere that's not 100% accurate. And uh, um, our farmers work diligently. Um, they love to help educate 
uh, folks about what they do. Uh, we've got our, our barn doors open, so to speak, across the state, inviting people in that if they want to learn, um, we're glad to teach them. You know, Michigan Farm Bureau has two mobile science labs uh, that travel across the state from school to school, teaching young people uh, how, uh, how agriculture and science are interconnected and why science is an important part of what our farmers do every day, you know, along with being engineers and marketers and veterinarians and, you know, and, and, and plants scientists. So uh, uh, those mobile labs are, are proving to be very beneficial. We've got farmers across the state that go into classrooms on a daily basis to help educate the young people about where their food comes from. So the education component to this is, is, is very important. I love those science labs. You know, Ernie, those are great. But there's another side to Ernie, Jerry, I don't know if you know about. Because um, I attend the, the Michigan Farm Bureau conference every year, and there's a guy up on stage that is leading a, a tremendous auction on behalf of Michigan Farm Bureau and their foundation, and that guy is Ernie Birchmeyer. And he's convinced you to buy a few things, if I, I'm not he, wrong. Uh, he's quite a few. <laughs> well, Ernie, you're you're an auctioneer as well. Now, did you auctioneer uh, livestock, or did you just pick this up for another reason? Well, actually, I uh, I picked it up on my own. Uh, as a young child, I used to travel to the weekly livestock auction with my dad and grandfather, and uh, you know, sit in the sale barn and and listen to the auctioneer, and thought that was thought that was pretty interesting. And uh, as I got older, I started messing around with it a little bit. And you know, one of the beauties of our job here at Farm Bureau is we get lots of meetings to travel to. So back in my early days working for Farm Bureau, traveling home at night, I would practice my auctioneering driving down the road. And <laughs> one thing led to another. And before you know it, uh, uh, we're auctioneering a few sales. So uh, it's it's a nice uh, skill to have. And I, I use it mainly to give back to other people and try to help out with benefit auctions uh, uh, when needed, because uh, uh, sometimes those roles need to be filled as well. So it's it's a fun skill to have. And what's the biggest item you've, you've sold in auction? Um, the biggest item I think I've ever sold at auction was and been involved in uh, the Michigan Livestock Expo every summer, where young people from across Michigan come together to exhibit livestock, and uh, and then and then uh, the top end of those are sold, uh, you know, in an auction. And I think uh, the champion steer one year at the old Michigan State Fair brought thirty-six thousand dollars. Hey. Um, and now the, the top ones at the Michigan Livestock Expo will typically bring anywhere from ten thousand to uh, to thirty thousand dollars for some of those champion animals. Wow. And again, that's young people getting involved in their own industry and taking it upon themselves to to raise quality livestock, but then business and industry stepping up to help out. So we truly are an industry that all that relies on each other. We grow them from the uh, from the ground up, uh, including <laughs> including those youth when they get involved and then find a way to uh, to keep them involved in the industry as much as possible. He's our friend, Ernie Birchmeyer. He's from the Michigan Farm Bureau. And Ernie, you are a wealth of information, but um, mostly, my friend, you are a guy that stands in the gap for folks that are, that are really feeding us all. And so we appreciate you very much. Well, thanks for the opportunity to be here. And, you know, again, thanks to all of our farmers across Michigan uh, for doing what they do because, uh, you know, we all like to eat three times a day, and some of us eat more than that. <laughs> and, uh, and and we appreciate it. But we can't do it if somebody's not out there on a daily basis putting in uh, the labor 
and uh, tilling the soil, raising the livestock, milking cows, uh, um, you know, tending to the fruit and vegetable operations. And then along with that, you know, the great uh, food industry sector that's behind it, uh, getting it from the farm to the retail outlet and to our consumers. So uh, uh, it's, it's great to have an industry as important uh, as agriculture to serve our consumers. Ernie, thanks so much for being with us. Jerry and I are back in just a moment. You come back and be with us, too. Food First, Michigan. Once again, here's Phil and Jerry. Welcome back, everyone. Jerry Brisson, Dr. Phil Knight here with you. That was Ernie Birchmeyer from our friends at Michigan Farm Bureau. And, of course, a shout-out to Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan as our lead sponsor for Food First Michigan, Jerry. Can't say thank you enough to those guys. Well, that's the truth. Um, And we really can't say thank you enough to the growers in the state. I mean, when we talk about Food First, and as you said earlier, um, we have to remember where that food actually comes from. Right. And and to, to make food first, you got to think about the whole system from beginning to end. And so knowing that our growers in the state of Michigan have had some pretty steep challenges hmm. um, is important for all of us. It's important for, you know, I mean, let, put, put it in a different way. Every time the, the price changes for groceries, it affects every single household, every single one, whether the prices are going up or the prices are going down. And if the prices go up significantly because, well, we can't get all the food that we would normally get from our state, we've got to go farther out to get it, or whatever is happening, right? The the dynamics of the food market for every single household are important. So, you know, it's really good to get these updates in spite of the fact that, you know, it can be, if you're removed from it, you might go, well, why is this important? Well, it's important because it is affecting your household. These trade um, agreements that were made, it's hard to stay on top of all of the things that those trade agreements say and, and all the things that they affect, but it's encouraging that uh, our farmers and growers are going to benefit from these most recent trade agreements, especially as they might be facing another tough weather season. Well, you know, when you think about this in the context of the trade mitigation uh, funding that's flown has come from Congress um, to our farming agricultural community, first year was about twelve billion. I'm rounding numbers here. The second year was about fourteen. Well, what that's done is, you know, really been a bandaid on a bullet wound for our farmers and our agricultural agribusiness as a whole because as you said on the show before i mean if farmers aren't able to plant their food and ernie said that really out of 10 million plantable acres in michigan there was almost a a million acres seems like most of them was in monroe county that couldn't be planted across the state Um, so it affects not just the farmers and their families but also the the businesses that surround agriculture i mean they're not buying tractors right and so yeah yeah and and so many other things you know the tractors the fuel the the you know the parts and equipment i mean all of the things that support that business obviously get stressed when one piece of the front end and back yeah, end yeah you know yeah, yeah. so i mean when you think about it like that it's 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 a lot so we had trade mitigation about $26 plus billion over two years that was designed to buy some of the major crops and foods from our agricultural producers 
that then many of that flowed through the food bank network. In fact, I think of all the food that came through trade mitigation to Michigan, um, we our network handled more than 94% of all the fresh food that came from trade mitigation. And we're talking millions of pounds of food here. Yeah, which was incredibly helpful to the people that we serve. And, you know, we've had a good economy in Michigan, and there is nothing like a good economy to feed the community. We, we know it. It's what people want. It's what we want. It's what everybody wants. And yet there are still literally hundreds of thousands of people that haven't whose lives haven't improved enough yet from the economy. And so we're out there helping them. And the trade mitigation food certainly helped the farmers, but it also helped the people in need who are trying to get to their next success. Um, and so, you know, the, the systems work together for the common good when all that happens. However... Um, as we as we move forward, we know that won't be coming forever. We're happy that the farmers can, um, you know, f- actually use the markets to to support them and don't need a federal government program to do that. Right. And I think we would honestly say that's what most consumers want too. Most of the people who are getting help in any way from the federal government would really rather be working and providing that help for themselves. Right. I I thoroughly believe that. I think I that's. Through our client ability to gather data from the clients that we serve, we hear that story, that mantra over and over and over. I don't wish, I, I wish I didn't have to be here. I do. Thank you for helping me, but I'd rather solve this on my own. Yeah. And I, it's important to remember again, when we talk about farmers needing help, it's easy to have sympathy because we say, well, farmers wouldn't ask for help unless they really needed it, right? Well, that is so much the story of all the people we help. I mean, of course, you can find somebody who's trying to work the system. But by and large, the people that we help, the people that we see coming through our pantries and saying, I need a little something to help me get through this time, really do need the help. And with the help, they will find a better place for themselves. Right. Absolutely. Hey, we want to come back and do one more segment, Jerry, and uh, kind of wrap this show up. But I really do appreciate... Um, you know, the entire network and uh, of farmers and agriculture. But I want to just end this segment by saying, you know, let's not forget that this has been a very stressful time. Looks like some more rough weather ahead. And um, farm stress is real for our agricultural community today. So we've said it on the show before. If you see a farmer, know a farmer, make sure you tell them how much you appreciate them. Because solving hunger for any of us starts in the field. We're back in just a moment. Thanks for listening, everyone. Jerry, um, I really like this show because it, it really puts the emphasis where I think it should be because we couldn't do what we do for the community across the state if it were not for the farmers who come alongside of us. And uh, we have lots of different arrangements and agreements with our farmers. You've, you've got farmers that are associated with Gleaners Community Food Bank that set aside acres just to grow to help you 
fulfill oh, your mission. Yeah, yeah, no question about it. You know, farmers that have been involved since the very beginning of food banking, and our founder was a farmer. Um, so a farmer who became a Jesuit, who uh, then eventually got married, and uh, I mean, there's a great story there talking about Gene Gagne, the founder of Gleaners. Lived in the food bank he for a did. while. He did, he moved in, yeah, he moved in for a while. Uh, but, you know, the... Um, <laughs> The resilience and adaptability was really personal for Gene. There's no question about it. But, um, you know, a, a lot of our shows this this year, the, two, the tw- 2020, um, have been about the agriculture system. We've talked about food waste, and we've talked about food science, and we've talked about now uh, the, the situation for our farmers in two shows, actually. We really covered what's happening with farmers, and, um, and I think there's a, s- a significance to that. It is so important for us to be aware of what's happening in the field and all the different ways it affects how we best serve our community. So uh, really, really good shows, very important to us. Happy to hear the good news about the trade agreements. Yeah. And um, as we say, we'll see how that affects us. We've had a lot of great food come to us because of trade mitigation, but it sounds like that's that really is going away with the, the new trade agreements that are being signed. Yeah, let's hope. Yep. For all, all good for all of us, including yeah. our, our farmers. Time for a little food for thought. I think we've all heard the definition of insanity. Einstein said, it is insane to continue to do the same thing and expect different results. So I'm proud of our food banks that comprise the Food Bank Council of Michigan and our national network, Feeding America, who are always innovating, striving to do better and more by working both harder and smarter. Our programming in Michigan is helping to change how the work of food banking is accomplished nationwide. Our influence is growing, our effectiveness is mounting, and our ability to adapt to change to meet the need is without end. I leave you with this quote. The reasonable leader adapts him or herself to the world. The unreasonable one persists in trying to adapt the world to him or herself. Therefore, all progress depends on the unreasonable leader. I'm thankful for all the unreasonable leaders that I have in my life. Until next week, remember, it's food first, folks. Food first. Food First Michigan, presented by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan and by the Food Bank Council of Michigan, creating a food-secure state.